Welcome to Mindset Meets Mastery with Arlene Gale. We're talking about the stories we tell ourselves, the mindsets, myths, and misinformation that can hold us back, and then turning our focus to action steps that bring about success mastery in business and life. The goals are to define success on our own terms and to master that success without excuses or apologies. Hi, everybody. Welcome to today's episode of Mindset Meets Mastery. We're going to talk a little bit about a a serious, serious topic. You know, you all know that I can be a little goofy and I like to have fun. And this will be a fun episode also, but it's fun in a different way because I think there's tremendous value here for so many of us, if not all of us. So think for a moment about the, the holidays. What mental images do these words invoke for you? What is the mindset that surfaces for you about the upcoming holidays? How do you feel when someone asks you, hey, are you ready for the holidays? Some people are really looking forward to the holidays. There's family gatherings, family traditions, creating joyous memories together to build on past memories that you all share. So maybe the image in your mind also includes children running around, people laughing, sitting around playing games. Well, if this is the case for you, that's great. Congratulations. That's awesome because I think that that's what most of us would like the holidays to be like. But I bet you know some people around you in your sphere of influence for whom the idea of the holidays brings about dread or sadness, loneliness, and stress, you know, for a variety of reasons. Maybe their mindset is that they've always disliked the holidays because of a bad childhood. Or maybe there's been a death of a spouse or a child since the last holidays. Or that memory of that spouse or that child surfaces strongly during the holidays. Maybe this year there's an untreatable illness of a spouse or a sibling or a child since the last holidays. Maybe you're caring for elderly parents who aren't as strong or as vibrant as they used to be. And the wonderful, loving past memories now kind of cause sadness. The other thing that I think that is unique to this year is that we have families spread all over the country or all over the world. But even if your family lives in town, there's concerns about traveling There's concern about spreading this virus to loved ones, and those feelings or fears or concerns may be some of the things that keep families apart this year, too. Whatever it is for you and your family or your friends, I know your loss or these life changes may feel so tremendous that you can't imagine how you're going to get through these holidays. So my prayer today is that There's something here that will help ease your pains. Is there really a way to get through the holidays, but maybe in a different, a different kind of way so that it doesn't create pain or sadness or really focus and accentuate on the loss? 
maybe it's the sadness or pain that seems impossible and you can't even imagine that being able to do this is true or possible. But I assure you that it is. That's why I have my special guest with us here today. Her name is Dr. Kelly Holder, and she's an expert in helping people with ideas to help manage the feelings and life changes without ignoring the feelings or without adding guilt or shame or blame or stress on top of the pain of loss. Dr. Kelly Holder is a licensed clinical psychologist and serves as the director of the Office of Student Mental Health and Counseling at Penn State University College of Medicine in Hershey, Pennsylvania. Dr. Holder earned her PhD in clinical psychology from Loma Linda University and completed her postdoctoral training at Harbor UCLA in HIV mental health behavioral medicine. She has worked in multiple clinical settings which include college counseling centers, private practice, and community mental health. Her interests include depression, anxiety, sleep, general life stress and dissatisfaction, and health and wellness. She's a certified instructor of mental health first aid. And Dr. Holder, I know, is passionate about mental, mental health and aiding individuals to improve their well-being and the qualities of their life overall. So will you please help me welcome today my special guest, Dr. Kelly Holder. Hi, Kelly. Hello. Good, good day. Good day. It's so good to have you here. I, I thank you for being here. Now, you know, you and I have talked often and, and can have a lot of fun. And it seems that this is a serious, really kind of a downer sort of a topic. But the re and, and I like to be upbeat and uplifting, but the reason that we're here today is that we kind of have a choice, right? Can can we talk about negative emotions and how to approach some of the pain and losses and have any kind of a positive outlook? Yeah, it's definitely a conversation worth having and an important conversation to have. Um, for many reasons, because as human beings, we get to have pain, loss, and suffering. It's not something that any of us can escape. It's um, tied to our human existence. And yet, at the very same time, in the face of our pain and our struggles, we can experience joy and pleasure. And figuring out how to best navigate what it means to be a human being in the face of all the things that we feel is it's really important to do. So do you think that there's one particular struggle or several struggles that people have that really hit them hardest at the holidays? What do you see? During the holidays, um, a, a major theme that comes up for people is disruption of whatever their norm was or has been. And so anyone who has experienced a loss of a close relative or a significant person in their life, they feel it during the holidays because typically that's the time we give thanks for those people. We reach out to those people. We want to spend time with those people. And so um, having a physical complete loss of another human being in someone's life can be very hard, but the other losses can be just as hard, which are severed relationships. Um, family members that you can't talk to because you just don't get along or the relationship has not gone well or there's been separation, divorce, um, changes of thoughts and ideas that keep people from having real conversations. And that can be hard during the holidays because people crave spending time together 
And here's this disruption that keeps people apart. Well, and do you think that that's going to be more prevalent this year because of the holidays after this election that, and the current conditions of our country with all the turmoil and divisiveness? This year is going to be unique, <laughs> right? And I've been telling people that we have to already decide it's going to be what it's going to be and allow it to be something else and prepare for it to be something else because we're experiencing the world in a way which none of us have experienced it before. And we cannot imagine all the scenarios that are going to come up in our lives during this time. And so it's good to have the conversation ahead of time and kind of decide for yourself, what is important? What do I value? What do I want to experience? And then actively work on um, creating good boundaries to keep out the things that would cause you to have more pain than you need to have. Yes. And I, I saw, I'm so glad you brought up the word boundaries because I was thinking, so, Dr. Holder, you're telling me that my friend or that I usually spend, you know, Friday after Thanksgiving with who doesn't agree with me on ABC or LMNOP that that we can still have a healthy relationship. Is that possible? There's a possibility <laughs> there, but, you know, there's a lot of barriers. Um, so what kind of healthy boundary can I set in those situations? Yeah. So, you know. Um, I'm going to try to answer this question. <laughs> Before I do, what I'm going to say is that this is going to play out uniquely and differently in each individual and in each life. Um, and so number one is being able to focus on shared values as much as possible. So you and your friend, you know where you disagree, right? So having a conversation and saying, where do we agree? Where is our common ground? And if we are going to spend time together on the day that we typically spend time together, let's come together on our common ground, the things that we're grateful for, so we can enjoy that time. If we're going to have a dialogue and discussion about something that we disagree, then let's both agree to come to the table and have a healthy discussion and get it out. Um, but not just on my terms where I slip snide remarks in and not just on their terms when they slip their snide remarks in. We have an agreement that we want to preserve our relationship. And because we want to preserve it, we're going to work uh, with certain rules. People you can have those kind of discussions with and set those ground rules and boundaries with are going to be your allies. You can be on the same team even though you disagree because you've decided that the relationship is important. For individuals who you can't come to terms with, where the relationship for you might be more important to you than it is for them, it's going to be much harder to do. You might decide this year is a good year to skip whatever it was that was going on, depending on the nature of the relationships. Yeah, so I think the conversation about boundaries is very, very important. But let me ask you this, in your work and the people that you talk to and you help with mental health issues, or better yet, even in relationships, do you find that if people would just listen, that we have a whole lot more in common than we do different? That is always true. There is always a lot more commonality between people than differences, largely if people want to sit down and explore them. The challenge is, is that because our climate has gotten so um, politicized and dichotomized, it 
makes those conversations. <laughs> it makes those conversations really, really difficult. And when people fundamentally disagree on things that are important to them. So there's people I live near who fundamentally believe things differently than I do that are so important to me. Um, even though we have a lot of other things in common, it is hard, it will be hard for us to move forward because our disagreements border on my values. And I think that's really what makes this time different than anything else is that some of these disagreements are really about people's values. And that's much harder to um, sit at the table with and just say, well, we both like cats and we both like knitting and we both like tea when someone else fundamentally believes something that you think is hurtful or harmful to others. And and really, that's what makes this time very different than other times, I believe. Absolutely. Absolutely. I know it, something that came to mind is that when we're talking about, and, and, and I'm going to say this just because I've been so much more sensitized lately, and I'm going to say it even though to me it, it, it bounced around in my head and it said, it was like, don't say that, that's, that's wrong. <laughs> but basically what came up in my mind was, you know, when you're dealing with your core values, um, that's that's really really important but sometimes we hold on to core values that are not necessarily right they're not necessarily healthy and so sometimes we need to sit down and listen to each other so the statement that came to mind that I thought hmm do I want to say that or not is that it's not always just black or white you know if we could have conversations we might find that you know, maybe we're both far here and we could come in a little bit. Maybe we both learn, both sides learn to give and take and to value each other's humanity and experiences instead of cutting everybody off. I don't know. Is there room for that? There, there is always room for that. Um, I, the challenge is, is that um, people have to have good communication skills so that they're able to effectively express um, what's on their heart and on their minds. Um, you know, oftentimes people aren't as different as they think about certain values, but because of the language that we use and because of the words that we're saying, you, you'll never get there because once um, you shut someone out, they're shut out, right? Yeah. And so, you know, while, while everyone wants to be listened to, we also all have to aim towards listening. Exactly. I agree. So we kind of got off track a little bit there, but I think that that's so important because these, these headbutt situations are potential for this holiday season. But what, what I kind of want to go back to is how do, when we've experienced the loss of a loved one, whether it's death or divorce, you know, separation, and whether it's a spouse or a child. And we've got all these great memories and these great traditions that are based around the holiday. Is it possible to go on without that person in our lives? How do we do that? Yeah, um, it's, it's challenging because um, everyone experiences that differently. I know individuals can experience a lot of guilt that they get to go on and this other person does not get to go on. And um, oftentimes when we're stuck in that mind frame, then it keeps 
a person from engaging and enjoying things because they feel like they should be punished because this other person isn't isn't around anymore. And other times people get trapped in their own sadness and their own grief. Um, the grief that we're going to talk, we're talking about right now is what we call uncomplicated grief, but there is such a thing as complicated grief. And if you are trapped in your sadness and stuck in the loss where you can't see past, it is really good to reach out to a mental health professional and provider because there is some special treatment for a complicated grief that's different than just this sense of loss. And we have to acknowledge that some people experience that and it's not just this thing that, well, it's been years, just shake, shake it off and move on, that mm -hmm. they actually need extra help and extra support and learning how to live without that other person. So how do you, do you have any suggestions on how we can, you know, the holidays are going to be different by virtue of we've had these loss, this loss. How do we do something different that helps us to change our focus or our mindset so we're not so loss focused? Is Yeah, so... You know, many of you probably have heard about the Kubler-Ross's stages of grief. There's like five stages. But if we were to summarize those five stages, it really is resistance and acceptance, right? When we're in re resistance, we are, you know, um, we're bargaining. <laughs> we um, have uh, not just sadness, depression, and those kinds of things. When we are in acceptance, we can have sadness, but then we realize that we are in this moment, whatever it is, and what can I do to make, to improve my situation as much as possible? And so trying to be in acceptance as much as possible, I mean, and this applies for all of us, this loss of our lives due to COVID and the social distancing, the actual losses that we have su sustained as far as friends and family who have died because of the viruses, the virus, the losses that we have sustained around relationships and dichotomy because of political system, and then just the losses of all the fun activities some of us like to do during the holidays that we're not going to do. Hmm. If we get to this place where we can accept that this is where we are, we are in the middle of a pandemic, when you fully understand that and take that in, then you can say, what can I do with this? Um, I can create Zoom meetings and meet up with people. I can create my own new celebrations and traditions. To cope with grief, one of the best things we can do for ourselves is create a ritual. Here is a great year to make your own ritual. I would say don't try to do this holiday season like you've done any other holiday season. Throw it all away and say, we're going to do something brand new. And maybe you pull from some of the things you've done before, but craft something different and allow it to be its own thing. Um, and then being able to incorporate happy memories from your past, honoring people um, by writing letters and mailing gifts, honoring people by um, having video calls and different things. Because not only do we want to celebrate for ourselves, but when we honor or celebrate others, it also brings us joy. And it's one way we can get outside of ourselves. Yeah, I heard somebody say something about that their siblings were not going to be able to get together this year. So they were all sitting down and having a Zoom dinner <laughs> so that they'd all eat at the same time and they'd go kind of go around each family and talk about what they were thankful for this year. And I thought, well, that's a pretty cool idea. 
I mean, it's creative. And I think that maybe that's what it's going to require for us this year is to be a little bit more creative. I agree completely. So what do you, what about people who are taking care of older parents, their aging parents? And, you know, depending on which way this virus goes, you know, they've already spent so many months where they couldn't get to their parents and there's a lot of guilt around that. And I mean, what do you have to say to them about how they might be able to do the holidays differently without feeling guilty or shameful because something happened that kept them apart that was beyond their control? Yeah. And I, I think your question answered it is we, well, when things happen that are outside of our control, they are outside of our control. Our brains like to trick us into believing we have control over more things than we do. If it's outside of your control, it is, you know, it just is. And whatever you yeah, think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Dr. Holder, let me tell you, you're using logic on an emotional situation. That doesn't work for me. What do you say? <laughs> I say I agree, right? Maybe you have to grieve that thing. Maybe you just have to cry and let it out, right? It's still not going to change the situation. It's still going to be, right? And the and that's that part of resistance, right? Not resistance not accepting what is. And we can resist all we want. We can be upset. We can be mad. We can yell. We can cry. Do whatever. But at some point, you're going to have to move into this notion of saying, this is where we are. And what can I do with what's actually in my control? And I know our rational brains don't like, I mean, our emotional brains don't like that stuff so much. But we appeal to our emotional brain by saying, I get to feel however I feel about this thing that's outside of my control. And so I think that's us using, in in some of the work I do, we call it wise mind, right? Where our emotional minds and our logical or rational minds meet. And that's being able to say, this is out of my control. And at the very same, same time, I feel this way. And so I get to feel this way and it's going to be outside of my control. Now, what do I do with it? And for each of us, that that's the part that's going to be different. So you said something that I latched on to, and that is, it's okay for me to cry because, you know, I got people in my life who are telling me it's been long enough, move on, or, you know, you shouldn't feel that way. Yeah, nobody gets to tell you how you feel. So hold on to that, right? I like that. That's that's. You get to feel however you feel. I I like that because I think that, you know, what you said is that everybody goes through these stages of grief differently and feels different things. And so our solutions may be different. So something that maybe worked for you might not work for me. Right? I would agree. So is is it worth me even trying then if you make a suggestion? I would also say being open to trying new things is um, is adaptive and helpful and um, a way of being resilient. So, you know, take someone's suggestions, try it out. But just because it doesn't work doesn't mean there's no hope. That means you haven't figured out what's going to work well for you. Hmm. So just keep trying until you find something that does. Or maybe it's the process in and of itself that helps. Yes. Yeah, I agree with all of that. Because we, I had a time in my life where we lost four very close family members in a matter of six months. 
And the last one was just before, was about this time that year, so before Thanksgiving. And somebody had told us that one of their traditions was to get candles to put in the middle of the table and they light a candle and name each person that they've lost and that they love that they wish were with them. And I thought, yeah, that kind of sounds silly. But my kids were listening and my kids said, oh, I think that's a great idea. So I took them shopping and each of them bought, you know, they made a list of the people that we'd lost, that they missed, that they wanted to be at Thanksgiving with us. And so they bought the candles. We put them on the table. Of course, we had a big white candle for Jesus and God because my kids decided that, you know, God is the center of our family and everything that we do. So he, his big candles in the middle. And then we had all these little white candles um, around that candle. And my kids lit each candle and called the name of the family member or friend who died that they missed and just said something real short about what they loved about them. And something that I thought was kind of silly and didn't really, I didn't think it was going to make a difference. My kids bought into and they loved it. And I think it was healing for them. And it really made me think, you know, I have, there's a lot to learn there. Number one, my opinion is not always right, doggone it. <laughs> and number two, sometimes, you know, listen to what other people around you think might be a good idea and let them do it. Yeah, what do that, you sounds, that sounds wonderful. That's a great example of, you know, when you have in your mind what may or may not be helpful and you find out wow, I was wrong. It was helpful. And it it got the whole family involved. So that happened about 10 years ago. And that's still a family tradition. It was a new tradition for that year. And it's something that stuck. It became very meaningful for all of us. That sounds beautiful. So what other things might somebody do, do you think, to get out of away from the traditions if the traditions are just making them sad or help or keeping them from being present. Do you have any other ideas or suggestions? Yeah, I, you know, suggestion is just stop. Like, don't do that tradition, do something else. You know, if you're used to sitting down and having a big meal, decide you're going to order out and you're going to sit on the floor and have a picnic. You can do things completely different. You don't have to try to do it the same. Um, and, and this could be the year you just do something else. Um, if you're used to uh, caroling and singing to all your neighbors, maybe this year you say, I'm going to write cards instead. Like, just do something else. It doesn't have to be the same thing. Um, and, and if you're curious for ideas, Google uh, holiday fun activities and pick something off a random list and say, I'll just try this thing. It's new. It's different. It doesn't, um, it's not linked to anything I've done before. At the same time, it will help me create meaning for what is right now. Right. And I think another thing I want to ask your opinion about is, you know, in this scenario, as well as in life, so many people have trouble asking for help and they think it's it shows it's a sign of weakness or it's something they should be ashamed of that they need help so i'd like for you to comment on asking for help not only professionally but from the people around us in our lives yeah asking for help is such a 
big deal. It's something we should talk about more often. Um, there are many of us who are the helpers in our circles. And sometimes it's really hard for helpers to ask for help because we don't want people to think, well, if I ask for help, nobody's going to ask me for help anymore. But the mm -hmm. truth is, is that people who help others probably need a good dose of help themselves. So, you know, not being afraid of your pride and being able to reach out. The other thing is that sometimes we're used to doing things our way and want it perfect. And, you know, given this time period we're in, I know a lot of people are experiencing burnout just because life hasn't been the same and we don't have access to all the things that keep us motivated and going. And so allow it to be okay that someone do something for you, but it's not your way or not perfect. You know, just so that it alleviates some of the burden. Um, the other thing I like to say about asking for help is that some of us deprive ourselves from the goodness we could really get in our relationships because we do not allow other people to help us. Mm -hmm. So we're helping other people and we're wondering why we don't feel as close to people. You know, it's nice because we help them, but we want to be closer. Well, in truth, our closest relationships want to not just be always helped, also want to give help. And when we prevent people from helping us, we are actually blocking them from getting closer to us and having more, um, a more significant or deepening our relationship and increasing our intimacy. And so consider that when you think, oh, I could just do it on my own. Is there someone in your life who always asks if they could help? Is someone you help all the time? You allowing them to help you is a gift to them because they care for you, but it's also a gift to yourself. So I think those are some of the things to consider around asking for help. Oh, I agree, because I think that we do deprive other people from loving on us when we're we're the ones doing the loving all the time. And, it's, you know, they they would just love to have a turn. You know, I, I remember asking for help one time and I, the other person started crying and it's like, I didn't mean to hurt your feelings. And she goes, no, I didn't think that you liked me or trusted me because you never asked me for help. And so that was a real eye opener for me is that, you know, my not asking them for help, they took as I didn't trust them. And that wasn't true at all. Wasn't true at all. So I, maybe if you're used to being the, the house where everybody gathers, maybe ask somebody else to do it this year. You know, if, if, cooking a, a big turkey or a big ham and a big sit-down meal is too much, maybe, I don't know, cook a different kind of meal. I mean, it, there isn't really any reason why you can't have pizza or hot dogs for Thanksgiving dinner, is there? No, there is not. There is not. One year we had, we had pizza for Thanksgiving dinner. We made it ourselves, but, and we had a couple of different kinds. Like we did this like barbecue we are pretty much vegetarian, barbecue, veggie, chicken, pizza, and like two other kinds. So they're kind of fancy, but nonetheless, it was pizza. And we yeah. stayed in our pajamas all day. We had Thanksgiving in our pajamas and pizza. And it was, it was a nice day. It was a nice day. But it was also because we had to make some accommodations. Um, someone in our family had to work. So we weren't able to travel and visit other family members. And so we just decided we would make it as nice as we could for ourselves. Right. Well, and, you know, that same year we had all of those losses, none of us really felt like taking the, you know, 
Christmas tree out of the attic or bringing down all of the the Christmas ornaments because our Christmas tree I don't know if anybody else is like this but our Christmas tree we gather Christmas ornaments from places we've traveled or events in our children's lives and you know lots of pictures of our kids with grandparents or with their cousins and nobody really felt like doing that that year so we went out and we bought a little fresh tree you know usually we have an eight or ten foot tree this year that year we bought a two or three foot tree and we strung popcorn and Cheerios and radishes and I tried to convince one of my sons that cucumbers probably wouldn't hold up very well on the tree but they wanted to put up cucumbers and they did and two or three days later they took raisined cucumbers off the tree (laughs) but you know again it's about just being creative and sometimes if you have kids I think they'll lead us in a direction that I think we get so jaded and we can't think that way anymore I don't know what do you think yeah, I agree. Sometimes our kids can come up with lovely, lovely ideas. Sometimes we have to tame, I know with my kids, I have to tame the ideas down a little bit. But, you know, they can lead us into some fun and different kinds of things. And when they get to be part of the decision making, um, it makes the time even more valuable for them. Yeah, I think when our kids can participate, it, it is, it's a growth experience on both sides of the equation, I think. Um, So I hear people talking about mourning a loved one, and I also hear other people talk about celebrating their life. What is the difference from your perspective as a trained professional in the mindset of mourning the loss versus celebrating the life? Um, It's interesting that you would bring that up. In my experience, I've heard people move back and forth from um, using both terms. Uh, And I I just think sometimes when people use those words, it just comes from the place that they're in. Um, Because, you know, sometimes we're in, in the place that we just really need to grieve not having this person. And there are other times where we have this sense that they really need to be celebrated. We don't want to forget them. We want to be remembered and remember in like the positive, fun, exciting ways. And so I think, you know, individuals who are, um, you know, going through grief and loss, you know, go back and forth between those experiences of needing to grieve and needing to celebrate. Um, Because they both bring up two very different connotations, Um, yet at the same time, I think in our human experience, we we need to do both. Hmm. Okay. So we talked a little bit about celebrating like big big holidays, events that the whole world around us or the whole country in the United States, the the Thanksgiving, and then we've got Christmas. And so those are impactful because so many people are sharing the same holiday, you know, even though they're not under our roof, it's still the same ideology. So what do you say when we're, we're dealing with that loss, when we're the only ones or in the minority of people who even know that it was my spouse's birthday or my child's birthday, or how does a person move through that in a healthy way? you have any suggestions or ideas? Well, tell me more what you're asking about being the only ones. 
Well, because I think about Thanksgiving or Christmas, you know, because there's so many people celebrating that that holiday, there's some commonalities and maybe we don't feel so alone if we'll reach out or think differently. But let's say we've had a spouse who's died or a best friend or an uncle or even a sibling who's died and now it's their birthday and we remember it's it's their birthday and we're grieving but there isn't that shared experience of more people and so is there's a tendency to maybe feel more alone and more isolated because of that what are some things that you could suggest to maybe help us to move through that in a healthy way yeah I think um, to be honest, I think the the experiences are similar, and and in many ways, it may be easier um, for these events than the holidays because with the holidays, even though lots of people are experiencing them, everyone has this idea that everyone else is enjoying this, and I'm the only one who is not. Mm. Um, so with those events, you know, uh, a best friend's birthday who has passed, you know, being able to remember, right? Taking time to grieve if that's what you need to do, crying, whatever. Um, and then also then taking time to celebrate, um, creating your own trans- traditions. Um, like I've said before, one of the best things that we have around grief has to do with the traditions and the things that we do to honor individuals who have passed on. And so, you know, for a lot of people, it's visiting grave sites or writing letters or taking the time to look through a favorite album, whatever that is, make the time and space to do that for yourself and know that in doing it for yourself, um, you know, there's some goodness there. And if there's anybody else in your life who could enter that experience with you that you can share that with and say, hey, I'd like to talk because you remember my friend who died. I just really want to take the time to talk about them. Can you listen to me and hear what they were like um, and hear about my loss? I'm in being able to share that with another human being. There could be some goodness and um, it can aid with uh, increasing your own comfort. Well, and, and that brings up an interesting thing that I hadn't really thought about until you just said that. But, you know, because different people grieve differently, sometimes within the family, you do have those people who want to talk about the loved ones and share the memories and laugh together about that person or cry with other people. But the other people in the family, they, they don't want to talk about it. It's it still hurts or for whatever reason. So you've got these diametrically opposed ways of handling that loss within the same family. Do you have any suggestions for that? Yeah, we have to just be aware of that and respect others. So, you know, while maybe I might want to talk about something, I might have a child say my grandparents um, died. My grandmother died last year this time, about a month ago. And so, um, you know, I may want to talk about her, but maybe another family member or a child of mine doesn't want to have that conversation right then and there. And I have to honor that. And, and maybe that means I don't talk with that child. Maybe I get on the phone and I call my one of my good friends or call a cousin or someone else to talk with them about it. We have to honor each other's ways of coping and dealing with things. And then also, like you said before, making room to try something new. So just because I'm talking about it and initially, or say someone's talking about it, I think, oh man, I'm not ready to do that. I don't even want to do that. 
maybe be open and try approach. And then if it doesn't seem like a fit, then, then don't engage, withdraw and do something else, but be open because the way um, someone else in your family might be coping, um, even if you initially think that that might not be good for you, it might be. So be open to trying it and then creating a safe space if it's not, you know, withdrawing and then doing something else. Well, and it's especially hard, I think, for parents when there's a death in the family, a loss, and your children are asking questions that you don't know how to answer. They, they're asking you why. They're asking you questions that you got the same questions and you don't have the answer. So as the kids are looking to us for leadership, but we don't know what way we're, we don't know what we're doing either. So how do we handle that? I think it's really um, important just to be honest with kids. You know, some of the questions they are asking, um, these existential questions are the same existential questions we ask and we ask throughout our life and, and being honest with them. Like, I don't have the answer. I don't know if anyone does have the answer to this, that, or the other. Um, being open to explore with them, saying, well, I don't know the answer, but, you know, given my religious background and these things, maybe we go to our spiritual texts. Like, so for my family would be the Bible. Let's go to the Bible and see what the Bible says about that and spend time with that um, if that's a value that's important to you. Um, engaging them in that discovery with you is I think the best kind of modeling because they'll realize that there isn't one person who has all the answers, um, but it's okay to ask and it's okay to approach. And it's also okay when we don't know. Wow. So you're telling me it's okay to tell my kids that I don't know something. So they're going to know I'm not perfect. Darn. (laughs) Bummer dude. (laughs) No, we, we, we've had this, that situation come up and that's, that's all I could tell them is that those are great questions. I wish I had answers for you, but I just don't, um, you know, but in the heat of the moment that didn't make them feel good and it didn't really make me feel any better either. So you're, but you're still saying that that's probably the best thing to do. Yeah. So, and, and this is the thing I, I want to highlight is that, you know, oftentimes when we're doing things, we're doing them because we're hoping to escape negative emotion, right? Mm. But the truth is, is negative emotion isn't bad. It's not bad. It's human. And so we don't always, everything we do does not have to be to get out of the bad feelings. We can have the negative emotions and still be okay. And I think that's probably one of the greatest things that we can teach our children. You know, of course, we want to be adaptive and we want to do the best. We don't want to have overwhelming negative emotions that we can't control Mm -hmm. and don't know how to do anything with. But we can't escape the pain of being a human being, not in that kind of way. And so um, one of the greatest gifts I think we can give to ourselves and our children is being able to say, hey, we all feel bad. And it's okay that we feel bad. You know, we're going to learn how to deal with this as best we can. Mm. So much wisdom there. Because I I know for me, I know some people who don't like to cry. And I got to tell you, you know, honestly, girlfriend to girlfriend, sometimes sitting down and crying is the best thing I can do because I don't know what else to do. And I get through all the slobbering and snotting and everything else. And I actually feel a little bit better. That Does that sound crazy? No, it doesn't. I I would say um, many people can have that experience that 
having a good therapeutic cry is sometimes good for many of us. Now, not for everyone. It's not Mm -hmm. for everyone. Uh, Although I think everyone should cry at some point as part of being a human being. Mm -hmm. But, you know, allowing that to be okay, right, I think is important. So there's what I'm getting from you is there's no right or wrong way to deal with loss or changes during the holiday season or any other time. Yeah. Yep. I, I would agree with what you just said. Well, darn Kelly, I was looking for some do A, B, C, D, E, F, G's. (laughs) I mean, darn the humanity. (laughs) Oh gosh. So if you were to give somebody who's feeling down and dreading the holidays, just one golden nugget of a place to start what would that be? So, okay. What I would say is number one, it is okay. And it's normal and it's human to feel down, especially with all the loss that we're all experiencing right now. And especially in whatever your unique loss is. Number two, um, I would, and you only asked for one, but I'm going to give you. Give us a bonus. Is that, um, Learning how to tolerate that emotion in healthy ways is really important. If you need to reach out for help, do that. Talk to someone you trust. Get the support that you need. Um, I think those are the two basic pieces that I would give. And especially if you notice that you're grieving or your sadness in this loss is causing you to lose function, that you're not able to do the things that are necessary for life. You're not able to take care of the people you need to take care of. You're not able to take care of yourself. You definitely want to reach out for support um, because you don't have to face it all by yourself. You don't have to do it alone. Yeah. And I think that is so, so important. You, none of us has to do this alone. Um, So in a moment of clarity, you know, I've told my children, write down two or three names of people you can call when that moment of clarity is nowhere to be found and you're feeling alone so that you can go back and say, okay, these are the people I said I would call. Um, because I know that loneliness is a huge, huge thing, but I know that nobody is really alone if they will just take a moment to to reach out. I mean, maybe I'm just, I don't know, am I Pollyanna or is that something that you would say to people? No, I think that's a great suggestion. Having a plan in place, knowing who you can reach out to, who are your key people, who are your safe people. It's a great way to live your life to make sure you always know who you can reach out to. That way, when you're struggling, you don't have to try to figure it out. Right. Well, and and then when you think about, oh, I need to ask for help, instead of going to the, oh, that's a sign of weakness or I, I sh- it's shameful or blah, 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 you can go back to that list and say, oh, I get to ask for help because these people love me. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, so now I know that you are a self-care expert. So I'd like to talk to, and I know that women, dealing with women and the roles and stages and places in their life is is something that's important to you. So what kind of wisdom can you give for self-care during the holidays for busy wives, mothers, employees? Yeah. Um, If I were to give any self-care advice during this busy time period and the holidays and the stress of COVID, it's take care of your basic needs, right? 
So those are the things we overlook, but just start basic, right? Making sure you're eating to live, um, having some nutritious meals, making sure you're getting outside, having time to move your body, um, making sure you're drinking plenty of water. Um, you know, and it doesn't sound like a big deal, but during this time, those little things are everything. And I would start there. Of course, there's tons of other ways to care for yourself. But if we can do that very little, that basic level of care, getting good sleep, those basic things, um, it, it will create a better buffer for us. So that's the place I would start, especially now during this time. Okay, great. So I, I kind of want to put you on the hot seat because that's what I do. Um, we're talking about mindset meets mastery. So you're very successful in your field um, and people who meet you love you, or at least in, as far as I can tell, people who meet you love you. You're a great person. You're an inspiring personality and you're smart and beautiful and all of that kind of stuff. So let me get back to my point. <laughs> Despite all of those things, have you ever struggled with a mindset that if you had focused on that mindset, it would have never allowed you to become all the things that you are today? Oh, boy. Yeah. I'm, no pressure. I'm sure I could make a, a long list. I probably could write a whole paper on all the <laughs> mindsets that I needed to change and improve on. Um Oh, man, I'm trying to think of one. You know, in uh, recent years, I remember one of my new favorites. It was at this point, it's maybe three or four years ago. But during that year, my favorite saying, and I would repeat it over and over to myself, is what other people think about me is none of my business. And I had to repeat that thing over and over and over again. And it's not to say that I'm, I've completely overcome in that way. But being able to realize that lots of people have their own thoughts and opinions about how you're supposed to live your life and what you're supposed to do, but you cannot become who you want to be. Or, you know, for me, I'm a very spiritual person who God has called me to be if I am always focused on what other people think I need to be. Um, and so that's one mindset um, I had to put a lot of time and effort into um, in order even to approach some of the things I've approached in the last two or three years. And that's so fabulous because we've never talked about this before, but that's one of my favorite sayings is your opinion of me is none of my business. <laughs> and it really has, you know, because I don't know about other people, but when people look at me sideways and I think, oh my gosh, they hate me, you know, or some of those things that, you know, that can really shut me down. Instead of just ruining the moment, it can ruin my day, my week, my month, my year. I mean, and when I finally got to the point where I would feel that pain because they looked at me sideways, my, I mean, God forbid that they said something to me, but I just had to keep going back to their opinion of me is none of my business. It sounds silly, but it really does work. I, I suggest people give it a try. can't hear you I think it's that's that's a great thing for us to kind of keep in mind um, as we move forward yeah because I think that people uh, you know back to one of those darn the humanity things um, we focus you know we may have a hundred people 
in our in our sphere of influence and 99 of them will like us and one of us won't one of them won't and we spend so much time trying to change the mind of that one instead of rejoicing in the other 99 is that just my life or do you find that as human nature too yes yep no i agree I okay agree. so I how, do we, how do we not do that other than the your opinion of me is none of my business well well you know the challenge is 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 um learning how to have improved thinking um and being able to focus on the things that make most sense and matter most you know when we put our thought life and focus it in on um, other people's opinions or values and they're not ours, it derails us. And so we have to put more attention in our thought life into what our own values are and what we are moving towards. And um, for people pleasers, it's really hard because yeah, I want people to like me. At the same time, if that like liking me is taking me outside of my values, outside of my boundaries, outside of what I know I've been intended to do, then then that's not a good place for us to dwell on. And so um, it does take training. We have to practice it. And like you call it a mindset, mindsets don't appear overnight. They are trained. You know, Mm -hmm. we are creating new patterns and new grooves and new neural pathways in our brain when we practice things over and over again. So it becomes an ingrained mindset instead of just this nice thought. Right. So, from where you're sitting today, looking back at your life, what is probably the number one most positive mindsets that has helped you become the person that you are today? Help you master your life? Oh my, that's such a big question. And I don't even know if I'm prepared to answer that in this moment. Like my brain has gone completely blank. I'm thinking like, what have I done? What do I say to myself? Well, you're balancing a lot of things. I mean, you're a, a wife, a mother, a professional with a variety of things going on in that arena. Um, you're taking care of parents. I mean, you've got so many things going on. And quite frankly, from my perspective, you make it look easy. So how do you do that? I... One thing that I am growing in um, is, it might sound really nutty to you all who are listening, (laughs) because just named all the things that are going on, but the importance of just doing one thing at a time. I can only do one thing. And so just deciding what that one thing is in this moment, doing the best that I can with that, then the next moment that might mean that I'm doing something else. You all hear. You hear the noise, right? <laughs> I got three kids home with me. Um, right now I'm doing this interview. I'm not taking care of them. So there's the noise, right? But, you know, this idea, I, I've decided that multitasking isn't for me. And we know that there's some myths around that. And I find that when I can intentionally do one thing at a time, I feel much more well. And um, I move move forward much more effectively. Um, And so that's been one thing I think that's been very beneficial in living the kind of life I'm living right now. (laughs) 
Yeah, I think I think our time may be up. Your children are swinging from the light fixtures or something. I, it did sound like Tarzan just went through the other room. <laughs> well, oh. that's probably what's happening. <laughs> yeah, and you know, and I shouldn't laugh because I'm an empty nester now. You know, for have been for a couple of months, and I miss those moments so much. So. Um, anyway, so Dr. Kelly Holder, thank you. I know you're very, very busy, and I just want to thank you very much for helping us to maybe change our perspective in how we go into this holiday season and how we approach life in general. And again, I, I just want to say thank you very much. Is there any place online that people can connect with you and continue to keep up with your wisdom? Well, maybe one of the best places people can find me is on Instagram at Dr. Kelly Holder, at Dr. Kelly Holder. That's it on Instagram. So you can find me there. I I pop in and out in that space. Okay, great. So again, thank you so much. I appreciate your your time today. And for everybody listening, I want to leave you with this thought. Until next time, be mindful of the stories that you tell yourself about what is or is not possible for you. Don't let anyone else dictate your story because only you have the power to choose how you master your success. And when you're ready to write your book, write your story, please get a hold of me, Arlene Gale, at bookwritingbusiness.com. Thank you for joining Mindset Meets Mastery with Arlene Gale, the expert in helping people write business building books. Join us every Tuesday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time on BBS Radio when we'll talk more about how mindsets help or hinder success mastery. Please visit bookwritingbusiness.com to get more information on writing your professional or personal story.